Our first scripture reading this afternoon also concerns prayer, as do all the readings. Isaiah chapter 38. In those days, Hezekiah, or as he himself would have pronounced it, Chizkiyahu, became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord and the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O oh Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living 
the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now, Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil, that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? We jump ahead a number of years to the time of the exile, towards the end of the exile, and we read from Daniel chapter 6. The first 17 verses. This is the well-known story of Daniel and the lion's den. I well remember when I was a kid in New Zealand in Sunday school, having to draw pictures about <coughs> Daniel and the lion's den, except the Daniel that we had to draw at that time was a rather young fellow. However, the scripture makes it clear that he was in his 80s when this occurred. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, 
Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Let's read what we confess together in Lord's Day 45 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that, although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. What is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this, daily, our, this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following upon the preaching of God's word, we're going to be singing from hymn 38, the verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> Thank you. 
congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We begin this afternoon that section of the Catechism, the final section, dealing with prayer. The Heidelberg Catechism is made up as a catechism of the, the basic elements of the Christian faith. And as such, the Heidelberg Catechism in that respect does not really differ from the catechisms that were used in the church even right throughout the Middle Ages. Catechism generally began with an exposition of the Apostles' Creed, just like our Heidelberg Catechism does, and then moved on to the sacraments, which of course in the Middle Ages were more than the two we know. And from the sacraments, it moved on to our thankfulness, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. And so the Heidelberg Catechism deals with these matters, although it divides the Catechism into three basic sections. It begins with our sin and misery. And then it uses the Apostles' Creed to teach us about our salvation, as well as the sacraments. And then finally it moves into our thankfulness towards God for so great a salvation. And that thankfulness is made up, first of all, of the Ten Commandments, in other words, God's law, and how we can show that thankfulness and practice, and also prayer. And so we come to prayer this afternoon, and I summarize the teaching of the Catechism just under the title, Christians and Prayer. We're going to see, first of all, that prayer defines you. Secondly, that prayer is humble. And in the third place, that prayer is bold. First of all, prayer defines you. It's interesting that the Catechism says that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. That's a little bit curious if you think about it. If prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of it, why not talk about prayer first and the law of God Second, and why is the law placed first? Well, brothers and sisters, I believe that has to do with the fact that prayer must be genuine, in faith, from the heart, and proceeding, therefore, from a life that is dedicated in thankfulness to God. Consider the following. We read, for example, from that anxious prayer of King Hezekiah in Isaiah. And you might remember that when Hezekiah begins to pray, I'm just thinking where it was, uh, Isaiah 38, yeah. <clears throat> when he begins to pray, he says this, Please, O Lord, Remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. In other words, at the very beginning of his prayer, Hezekiah pleads with God and says, Look, God, you know that I am a person who endeavors to show my thankfulness to you in my life by leading a life of thankfulness, a life that is according to your commandments. 
Now, when Hezekiah says this, it doesn't mean that Hezekiah thinks that he's a man without sin. Of course not. And so when we get the prayer that he finally wrote down, he, we read that he prays in that prayer, Lord, in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. In other words, when he begins his prayer, Lord, you know how I lead my life and faithfulness before you. He's not saying I'm without sin. He's saying that I endeavor to be a genuine child of God. I endeavor to show you in the practice of my everyday life that I really do appreciate the salvation, the care, and the, the providence that you show for my life. And indeed, we are reminded that this is essential before God if we read, for example, from the book of Proverbs and Proverbs 28. In Proverbs 28, we are told, I read from verse 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, and hearing the law is not just sitting in the pew and listening to the Ten Commandments, hearing the law is actually getting out there and doing it. If one turns his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. In other words, God says in his law, look, if you don't give a hoot about following my commandments in your life, I am not going to be listening to your prayers. It's as simple as that. A prayer to God presupposes that you respect him and that you show him that respect and thankfulness, not just in the prayer itself, but in your daily life. We all know the words of James from his letter. The prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And of course, James points us to the prayers of the prophet Elijah. However, sometimes when we think about our own prayer life and our own praying, we can also get stuck in a different kind of a rut. We might think of ourselves that we endeavor to lead a life that is faithful to God, and yet we find ourselves thinking, well, how exactly does God relate to me? Because I'm taught both in Scripture and in the confessions that God chose me, if I'm elect, before the foundation of the world. And if God elected me before the foundation of the world, and if God knows my entire life, surely he knows what I need before I even say one word in a prayer. So why am I actually praying? And why do I actually need to pray? How does God relate to my prayer? And we can twist ourselves in knots with these kinds of considerations. What's going wrong with our thinking is the fact that we are trying to stand in the shoes of God with the doctrine of election by applying that doctrine of election to every 
everything we read and every facet of our lives when Scripture doesn't do that. In other words, most of Scripture, when we read it, is about how God chooses to relate to us. He comes down onto our level, the way we perceive reality, and He relates to us as a living being. Yes, now and then in Scripture, God lifts up the veil, as it were, to show us a little bit of reality as God experiences that. For example, with the doctrine of election. Another good example is the doctrine of the Trinity. Things that we can't understand if we try and put them all together rationally. It's beyond us because we're not God. And when God does this, we have to realize God does it for a good reason. He's offering us an incredible comfort with what He says. But once again, it's just the tip of the veil in the way the Lord God Himself looks at reality. I live and relate to God within what God calls in Scripture this covenant relationship. In other words, dynamic relationship, where God comes down, as it were, onto our level and relates to us and promises to hear our prayers and to react to them. And so we have this living covenant relationship with God. Covenant because God has made a promise to be our God. And therefore to be our protector and father in this life through Jesus Christ. And therefore in Jesus Christ we may pray to him. And we may expect those prayers to be heard. And we may expect God to react to them. And so when God says, yes, although I might know what you need before you ask for it, I want you to ask me as children. I want you to ask me so that I can see that you really appreciate who I am and are making a request of me that I in my fatherly providence can react to. Now think about Hezekiah. The prophet Isaiah rocks up to him and he says, you're sick, and in fact God has told me you are going to die. Get everything in order because this has been decided. And I don't know about you, but my first reaction would be if a prophet of God came and said to me, God has said and decided you're going to die, be more than likely to make sure your last will and testament is in order, get things ready because you're thinking to yourself, that's it, God decided. But you see, Hezekiah knows that God is a covenant God. Yes, God might have decided that. But there is still room for me to plead with him. And to ask for an extension. Which is exactly what Hezekiah does. And he pleads, Lord, I have endeavored to be faithful to you. And he cries, literally, to the Lord. And the Lord reacts. The Lord gives him another 15 years because of his humble prayer. Think of another example. Think of Jonah. 
God tells Jonah, go and tell the Ninevites, I'm going to destroy them, I'm going to wipe them out because uh, they are so sinful. And why doesn't Jonah want to go? Because he would love to see the Ninevites destroyed. He doesn't go because he knows God. He says, if I go and tell them that, more than likely they're going to turn around and humble themselves and pray to ask that it not happen. And, and oh, I know God. God's more than likely going to relent. And of course, that's exactly what happens. A living relationship where God reacts to our prayer. If Hezekiah hadn't prayed, he would have died. No question about it. Same with the Ninevites. Now think about Daniel. Daniel has prayed his whole life. We know that from Scripture. He was taken as a young lad, probably about 12 years old, castrated and put into the uh, high officials of the Babylonian Empire. When he was about 30, he was told that the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. Nevertheless, he kept praying, as always, three times a day on his knees towards Jerusalem. Knowing that even if the city's been destroyed, even if the temple has been destroyed, that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. That God still won't be able to hear my prayer. Now, late in life, Daniel rises to a very high position. He's in his 80s when he becomes one of three governors over the entire empire. Three governors over the 120 satraps. Satraps were regional governors of different countries in the empire. Nehemiah, for example, after the exile, was one of those satraps. He was a satrap of Judah, a local governor. But Daniel becomes one of three who's over all these local governors. And in that position, as a Jew, he invokes the jealousy of the other governors. More than likely also because he happens to be the king's favorite. And so, as we read, there's a plot against him. What did it say? All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, that's those 120 local governors, and the councillors, they're agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. And they're only saying this to the king because they know this is more than likely going to get Daniel into trouble. They'd first tried to find something that they could legitimately claim against him, but he was too faithful. And so they turn to religion. They make prayer a thing that is forbidden for 30 days, one month. Now, how would you react? More than likely, a number of us would be thinking to ourselves, well, look, if the government forbids prayer for just one month, and after that one month I'm going to be allowed to pray again, surely... God will understand if I don't pray to him for a month, I'll have a good prayer just before that month begins, 
and he'll understand, and then after that month I can pray again. Well, that's not the way Daniel looked at it. And God blessed Daniel for this way of looking at it. Daniel thinks rather to himself, look, prayer defines my relationship with God. I have a relationship with God in heaven because we communicate with each other. I speak to him in prayer. He speaks to me through his word. And basically for Daniel, he is saying, I would rather die, because that's what's going to happen, I would rather die than go a day without praying to God. And so he continues his practice three times a day, on his knees, windows open, towards Jerusalem. And he risks everything. Daniel doesn't know that God's going to save him. But Daniel goes ahead and prays. Unfortunately, all too many Jews today are really just nationalists. The religion is no longer a, a living religion, but an outward symbol. Like it is for many Christians. I all remember all too well growing up in New Zealand. We didn't have Christian schools in those days, and what a benefit that is here. But I went to a big state school. State schools were very conservative when I was growing up, probably in many respects, like discipline, much more conservative even than our JCCCs. But I clearly remember when I was about 10 years old, the teacher asking the class, it was a class of about 33 kids, hands up if you're a Christian. And do you know every single boy and girl in that class put their hands up? Every single one. And I looked around because I knew many of those people in the class. And I knew that none of them went to church. So boy, did they get a berating on the walk home from school. What on earth did you put your hand up for? You didn't even go to church. And you know what their response was? Yeah, but we live a morally good life. We believe that God exists. We're Christian. And that was it in the country in those days. If you thought you lived a pretty morally good life and you believe in the existence of God, that was enough. You are a Christian. It doesn't matter if you don't go to church and don't read the Bible. Christianity was an, an outward thing. But as you well know, that's not real Christianity. And for Daniel, what defines his relationship with God is in fact that they communicate, that he prays. The devil, too, knows that it is prayer that defines the Christian and very often tries so many different ways to attack exactly that in our lives. How often do you find out as a minister that there are unfortunate people 
brothers and sisters in the congregation who may have stopped praying for one reason or another, having become convinced that for them it's inappropriate or just not that important. How real is our prayer life? Well, in the second place this afternoon, we ought to realize that prayer not only defines us, prayer is humble. I wonder how many of you have ever succumbed to the temptation to have a look on YouTube at some of these radical American so-called televangelists. <clears throat> to be clear, these people are quite certainly not Christians. If you've ever seen it, it's quite shocking. They'll be up there in front of their congregation and they'll be the so-called praying to God, but the prayer will sound something like this. God, we demand that you heal this person. We command you to heal. And I'm not exaggerating. And sometimes it won't even be about the healing of somebody. It'll be, be about, we command you to give this person a car. And the slogan is, name it and claim it. How different are the prayers that you read in the Bible? You can ask yourself whether these televangelists have ever actually opened the Bible. Think of Hezekiah. Now, when he prays to God, what does he do? We're told literally he puts his face to the wall. Why is he doing that? Because by his bodily posture, putting his face to the wall, he is saying, Lord, I am not worthy even to look up to you. What about Daniel? Daniel carries on doing the same thing he's done his whole life. Whenever he prays, he kneels. He gets down physically on his knees, despite the fact that he's in his 80s. Knees are probably worn out. He gets on his knees and he prays to God. Very often in Scripture you see that kind of a deliberately humbled prayer posture. I think only, for example, of Ephesians. It's a letter of Paul written from prison. And he talks about the fact that he's in chains. And then he talks about the fact that he's been praying for the Ephesians, Ephesians 3. And he tells them how he does that. He gets on his knees on that cold stone prison floor and he prays for them. So often, you know, in our time, we learn to pray on our knees maybe when we're little kids before our beds and then we become teenagers and then all of a sudden I'm too old and mature to have to get down on my knees to pray to God. And we lose it. 
I know I did, if I'll be frank. And it wasn't until many, many years later that it dawned on me, excuse me, who do I think I am? If I'm a child of God, of course I should be praying on my knees. Prayer is humble. And it's amazing how even your bodily posture just creates a totally different attitude in speaking to God. You see it also in the wording of the prayers in the Bible. You see it in Hezekiah's prayer, for example, and many of the prayers of the Psalms. That before they come to their request to God, they give testimony. Testimony of a desire to, to walk appropriately before the Lord. To show the Lord thankfulness for what he has done. We're also told that Daniel's prayers gave thanks to God before he comes with his supplications. And I'm reminded of what we confess in question and answer 117. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. That's an attitude that God can rightly expect from our prayers. For we know that He is the one that gives life and grace. That God is the answer to life, eternal life for us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can pray to Him. But we must pray to Him humbly and thankfully. And of course, knowing that God providentially also promises to bless them, bless the means that he gives us in this life. We use that age-old proverb, pray and work, in Latin, ora et labora. And you see the same thing with Hezekiah. He prays to God, he prays, Lord, please give me an extension of life. I've endeavoured to live before you faithfully. But we're also told at the end of that chapter that when, Hezekiah, when Isaiah gave him a medicinal remedy, he took it. In other words, his prayer is also a prayer at the same time, Lord, bless the means that I'm about to use also, please. Without that blessing, the medicinal remedy that Isaiah had given him would have been to no effect. But he takes it and God blesses it. Finally, prayer is also bold. Now you will understand, not bold in the sense of those televangelists, but bold in the sense that the Catechism talks about in the third part of answer 117, that we can be sure that God hears our prayers. We must rest on this firm foundation that although we don't deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ, our Lord, as He's promised in His Word. And the fact that 
you pray, knowing that God will hear you if you are a faithful child of his, can be seen in both the prayers of Hezekiah and of Daniel that we've looked at this afternoon. That doesn't mean, of course, that you know exactly how God is going to respond to your prayer. You know that he hears you. And yes, in both cases, God did respond positively, both Hezekiah and Daniel. But when Daniel went calmly to the lion's den, yes, he had prayed, and yes, he knew that he was in God's care, but he won't necessarily have thought, God will certainly deliver me from these lions. Would Daniel's attitude have been any different to his three friends so many years before that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They came into a pickle with Nebuchadnezzar, as I'm sure you recall. Do you recall what they say? We read in chapter 3 of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words... God can certainly deliver us if he so desires. But whether God chooses to deliver us or not to deliver us, one thing we're not going to do, and we're not going to disobey our God. And it's up to him whether we die and be with him now or whether he spares us. We leave it to the Lord. But we do pray. Because we know that the Lord hears the prayer and responds to it, which is why we pray fervently and with respect and humbly, and yet at the same time boldly, because in Jesus Christ he hears. And so that boldly is underlined by what we read in Hebrews chapter 4. I just want to close with with these thoughts. At the end of Hebrews chapter 4, we read this. Since then, we have a great high priest, thinking of the Lord Jesus. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's in every respect been tempted as we are yet without sin. And here's the conclusion. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. In other words, pray. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We do not have to be scared to pray because we have as our advocate Jesus Christ in heaven. And he ensures that our prayers come before God. If we have embraced Jesus Christ by faith, then our sins are covered by his blood. And 
prayer becomes a matter of trust. Trust in God, who has promised to be our Father. And as a Father, provide us for all things that we need, whether for body and soul. And these things are going to be worked out in the coming weeks as we go through the Lord's Prayer with the Catechism. And may God bless also then our prayer life as we once again reflect as a congregation upon these things. May God be praised also in our prayer life. Amen.